0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash Elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Sportsman Drag Racing. I'm joined as always by my co-host Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is coming to you live from the great state of Alabama. I'm back at home in southern Illinois. It's rainy, it's cold, it was nicer in golf more. Big Jed, how are you tonight?
1: Luke, I am well. I uh, hope you are. Sorry it's rainy and cold there. It's um, It has been rainy and not cold here but uh, the rain's gone so I'm looking for a Fun weekend at the racetrack, going to do a little Thanksgiving racing at Montgomery International Dragway, and uh, looking forward to Thanksgiving with the family and then spending Friday to get ready and do some Saturday-Sunday racing, so it's going to be a great weekend down here in Alabama. It's going to be awesome.
0: Okay, okay. Welcome to those of you watching live on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Welcome as well to those of you listening via traditional means. We've got a great show on tap today. We've got some half-baked ideas, admittedly half-baked, to fix Sportsman Drag Racing. We've got some on-track results. There were some turkey 20s, different spots around the country. All that and more, but first, a big announcement. Not necessarily, yet a big announcement in the world of Sportsman Drag Racing but a big announcement for
1: us here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Yeah, this is uh, this is huge to us, Luke. Um, you know, next week's show will be episode number 350, which is uh, about 345 more than uh, we ever thought we would get to. That's 350 okay. episodes, not, not hard to do that math. Uh, you know, we've been in this game for many, many years now and been pretty committed to it, dedicated to it, had a great time. But as they say, Luke, uh, all good things must come to an end at some point or another. And uh, you and I and the, the team that we have here at the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast have made the decision that we're going to step away for a little bit, uh, if not permanently, at least you know for, for a little while. Um, these things are a blast. These, these podcasts are a good time. You have put a tremendous amount of effort into it. You have, Built this to what it is. You you do show notes. You get us prepared for subjects. You come up with um, with the topics that we discuss when it's non-racing season, and it has been such a good time. But these things take a lot of time out of our schedule. Uh, they are a commitment, and you know we we're at a point in our life where we need some family time back you have a ton going on i have a ton going on Uh, producer mark page everybody's busy and we love the listeners but um unfortunately it's time to take a little break here from the sportsman drag racing podcast you know we've been the number one sportsman drag racing podcast for quite some time now so to open the door and let somebody else in and uh, take their shot at it.
0: We're happy to hand off the reins. Jed, this is a, this is obviously, this has been a difficult decision for us. This is something that we battered back and around apart. It's a difficult decision because we love this. Like I, I do truly enjoy the couple hours that we spend together here. And because in our own small way, like I don't want to overstate what we do here, but it feels like it's it's our opportunity to give back to the sport, right? And and move the needle in just a in a in a very small way in, in the lives of, of several of you that have listened, so many of you that have listened. And that's what makes it, I think, hard to to walk away. And walk away is probably overstating this a little bit, Jed. We're going to leave the door open. What we're going to to, to to say here is like obviously we love the platform. We do intend to host future episodes. We just aren't at a point where we can commit to it on a schedule, certainly not week in and week out, right? So it doesn't mean that the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is going away. The feed will be here. We'll probably pop in occasionally with some shows in the future to, to fill void when there's when there's something that we feel like is truly worth talking about. But the the days of the week in, week out we'll probably come to an end with next week's show, episode 350, which, by the way, Jed, like I just want to set the tape. We wanted to put this out to you this week. We've got this week's show is going to be fun like we're we've got some some half-baked ideas to fix sportsman drag racing we're going to a little bit tongue-in-cheek there as we go um next week's show is going to be awesome and the reason we wanted to roll this out now is that i don't we, we don't want next week's show jed to be a funeral we want next week's show to be a celebration this has been an incredible experience for almost seven years at this point we're going to go out and stop so we want to invite all of you to join us preferably live next week we'll, we'll release the date and time on that real real soon but we're going to do the annual potties that's that's how we go out we're going potties we're going to have a special guest I don't I don't there's a part of me that wants to keep the cat in the bag but this is an individual that you're all very familiar with that's been instrumental in the show from day one he's got a special announcement to make it feels fitting that he'd be on for episode 350 plus I just I have a feeling we can't go out without playing one more round of the game that's kind of put us on the map, Big Jed, the, the game that we're probably most known for. So that's I think that's going to get mixed in next week as well. There's a lot to look forward to.
1: One final chance to redeem myself, Luke, and, uh, and try to improve <laughs> my, my poor record in um, Olympic athlete, sportsman, drag racer or adult film star. <laughs> so, uh, no better way to to take an extended break than to to go out with
0: our favorite game. Who knew that Chad Steele raced foot break at Holly Springs? You know, I mean, you
1: just, you just sometimes you wouldn't put it on. Uh, yeah, Luke, I, uh, unprecedented here. I uh, I hate to do this to you, but <laughs> apparently there's some activity at uh, at my front door. And uh, I need to I need to tend to that for just a second. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go <laughs> silent here for just a couple of minutes. I'll be back just here in just a minute.
0: It is the beauty of live podcasting. All right, so we'll get right into it. We've got a couple of things to to hit on this week. I guess first on track action. Right, there's a couple of twenty granders uh, over throughout the country. Uh, the Loose Rocker event in Galat in North Carolina it looked like it had a massive turnout. It's a four hundred plus. Uh, entries in attendance throughout the weekend. There Um initially supposed to be uh, three 20 granders. I believe uh, day one got cut short. I think due to uh, due to weather finished two of the three races in the first said 20 grander. We saw Derek Clark get the victory over Nick Ross. That's one of Jed's homies. Maybe Jed will weigh in a little bit on Nick Ross's performance. Derek Clark got that $20,000 win. And that was the lead up to Sunday's event, which saw Glenn Ferguson, yes, that Glenn Ferguson, former multi-time IHRA world champion, not only take home the $20,000 main event check, he took home the $5,000 check too. He got the big check, he got the little check, he was the winner and the runner-up in that familiar, beloved Fairlane, Glenn Ferguson, back to the top. Uh, in that part of the country, huge, huge day for him in Galat. And honestly, similar situation where I was uh, in Gulfport, Mississippi at the Turkey Beach Bash. I'll go through the preliminary results a little bit later, but let's flip this around. Day number last $20,000 to win Sunday. The man that is like the, the series at Gulfport is the king of the coast. I think probably the unquestioned king of the coast. one wayne henry and if you're not from that region that's a name that you may not be familiar with if you are from anywhere near that region you know the name wayne henry he's a three-time king of the coast series champion he's actually in contention to get a fourth this season which i believe is unprecedented in that series very competitive series very competitive area wayne henry bad dude well in sunday's twenty thousand dollar to win main event we kept dragsters and door cars completely separate throughout and it was a buy one get one race so everyone on the grounds was double entered wayne henry took both of his dragster entries to the dragster final where he obviously eliminated one of his entries to advance then to the overall final opposite former million dollar race winner inaugural million dollar race winner TJ Tracy where Wayne Henry got that $20,000 top prize so in the end Wayne Henry didn't quite pull a Glenn Ferguson he didn't run himself in the final of a 20 but the only person that beat Wayne Henry on Sunday at Gulfport Dragway was Wayne Henry, so really impressive performance from him as well. The $20,000 to win race that preceded Sunday's event was on Saturday. That was won by Gantt Gatwood, another familiar name in that part of the country. The Gatwood brothers have been dominant this season. They've won, Gant specifically has won just about everything that they've had in Gulfport in a car that is pretty unassuming. We I think we chuckled about this back in March when, if I'm not mistaken, Gantt won the top ball 150. In a Camaro that from the side pictures looks like it could be a late model stock car, like it's got an off colored front fender. It, it's a small tire car, it's not the usual suspect. And but all that thing does is go 603, and all the would does is let go double O. He got the $20,000 win on day two over Matt Richard. The weekend started um, in Gulfport with a $3,000 to win warm up race that was won by J.R. Barclay, another driver that has had tremendous success at that facility and really across the, uh, that region, he got that $3,000 victory over Jesse Marceau, another standout racer, uh, in the King of the Coast series in that area. So that's what stands out from Galat and from Gulfport. Um, as Jed comes back on, I hate to even get into this portion of the show without him because I know that he's going to have some thoughts uh, and want to weigh in, but, um, I I think we'd be remiss to get any deeper into this episode of the show without recognizing the fact that uh, since we last recorded, we learned of the passing of another legend, another huge, huge name in our sport, a man that impacted our sport on so many different levels. And that is one George Rupert. it's been several years ago. It's about a decade ago. Scott Lemon at DragRaceResults.com had um, had asked me to uh, to work with him and basically write a series of articles. We called them Legends, uh, Legends of the Sport. And the the topic of those, like I, we did one on Ted Sypele, we did one on Sam Biondo, um, Edmund Richardson. I, I, I did one on Don Young, obviously post mortem. Uh, that was more focused on uh, on, on an in, on a series of interviews with David Rampey, who was if you're not familiar with Don Young uh, Rampey was sort of his protege more or less and, and very very close friend um I and I did one of these on on George Rupert and I remember at the time how enjoyable it was like say we didn't do more than more than a dozen of those legend articles and there were a ton of work like it was a lot of research it was a lot of putting things together but I remember how enjoyable it was. To just learn more about racers that I had always looked up to, but were by and large like a little bit before my time, and and just learn from them firsthand in a lot of cases what that was like. And so when I learned of George's passing, like say that's a that's a decade plus ago, and that's the last time that I had an extended conversation with George Rupert. And um, so I went back and 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 read that that column, and it's so cool now. To have that, like, a it's not often that you look back on work that you've done like ten years ago and are like kind of proud of it. I was like, oh, this actually like this isn't terrible, right? From from a personal perspective, but even more so now, like it's basically a it's a lasting impression of a man that was heralded within our sport, but at a time where you just didn't get a lot of attention, like your story wasn't really told. And I feel like that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of now is that I feel like in a lot of ways, at least from a, from a racing sense, the story of George Rupert was that legends column. And, and to be able to go back and have that, as kind of a a token of at least some of the things that he did specifically within our sport. Really cool. It's something that I'm really proud of. And it was, it was fun to go back and relive that. I could hear, I could hear George's words on the other end of the phone from a decade plus ago just kind of going through um that article. So, Jed, I've got some personal stories uh, on on George Rupert that I want to share that might bring a little bit of levity and, and a little bit more insight to the, the the man and the myth and the legend, which I think is all accurate as it comes to Big George. What was the first thought that that came to mind when you learned of, of George Rupert's passing?
1: Well, Luke, obviously uh, a legend in our sport. I know you talked about the legend series and your work with George through the DRR uh, channel, but... Uh, truly a legend in our sport. I I don't think George ever really got the credit he deserved nationally for his impact on uh, you know methanol and and the the transformation of carburetion. He was he was an innovator. I mean, George George put a ton of research and development into his own program to to make his carburetors work, his fuel delivery work, and then started sharing that with customers and he did it in a time where, you know, social media wasn't uh, wasn't a, a thing or, you know, he didn't advertise per se like you see in today's market. You know, if George were 20 years later with his findings and his work, he would have been possibly the top dog in the game. Uh, obviously, he did it at uh, at a pretty ripe age when he started that that system. And people, people have won so much with George Rupert's, uh, carburetors and, and fuel setup. So the guy was, he was very innovative and I don't think he ever really got that credit, but when it's all said and done, he was, uh, George was a matter of fact, you know, he was, he was a, a guy that told you exactly what was on his mind. He didn't, he didn't when when somebody had an issue or they needed him for something, he didn't play around. George was very firm and direct and could be could be taken the wrong way at times because of his uh, because of his firm approach. But knowing George was a was loving George. He was just a, a very genuine man. You know, I didn't get to spend much time with George. My only real memory of uh, much interaction with him was at the very first fling. Uh, the role that I was playing and the role that he was playing as racer and going to the final round and you know uh, on the on such a a big stage and a new stage for a lot of racers and you know it was an exciting moment and and Peter and Kyle had me out there interviewing guys in the lanes and you know trying to trying to chat them up and. George really just he he wasn't having any part of it you know he George had a lot to offer and and he had accomplished so much in racing both on and off the track but you'd never know it he was just a very humble genuine man that everybody loved and literally thousands of racers sought uh, advice and and craftsmanship from him to help them become better on the racetrack and he, uh, he had such an impact on our sport, Luke. Just a true legend and, and a tremendous loss for the racing community and certainly all the lives he
0: impacted. Right. So the first time that I really remember getting to spend time with Big George was a decade prior to, to this Legends column and TraegerShills.com. And I met George through the Brothertons, the, the Brodix guys. I had raced with with Jeff and Greg Brotherton um they're from Arkansas I was from Texas right so so we 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 were very familiar with each other and I we were at a race in St. Louis I was probably well as I tell the story it's very obvious I was not 21 19 20 years old something like that and somehow or another I end up at dinner with Jeff and Greg Brotherton and George Rupert and there might have been one or two other racers with us but I remember that was the the core group right and big George decides like we gotta go to c- c- casino And the Brothertons are in, like, we're going to the casino. Big George wants to go gamble. We're going to go gamble. And I'm like, guys, I don't don't want to throw a wet blanket over this, but I I can't get in, right? And my memory of this is a little bit faded. It's been, I've slept a few times since then. I don't know how involved Big George specifically was in getting me into that casino, but he definitely played a role. I want to say Jeff and Greg probably spearheaded that, but George was definitely a part of that. And, and once we were in there, he didn't want anything to do with me. He wanted, he was, I think it was Black Jack. George had a place to be at the casino. George was 100% the reason we were there, but I was a part of that. And that's just a memory that I have that I think will always stick with me, right? And I just how, how um, incredible it was to be surrounded by those guys, and especially George. Like at that time, this is a man that was larger than life. And I think, Jed, what gets lost on the current generation, I think most of us know George as the guy behind Rupert's carburetor and the mechanical genius that that he was. I don't think you, that we give him enough credit for what he actually did on the racetrack. In his heyday, George Rupert was one of, if not the baddest dudes in the country. And just, I was reading back through the, the column that I, I talked about earlier and then in the process of, of writing that, I not only spoke with George, but I did interviews with a couple of guys that I knew were really close to him, specifically Tom Dauber and John LeBouge Sr. And Labu Sr. shared a story that, that I, I tried to articulate within that article in which he talks about the first time that he met George Rupert. And they were at the... What's now the World Super Pro Challenge in Stanton, Michigan at that time, it's like 1982. It was a $20,000 win event, which was unheard of at that time, right? And Laboose and Big George run in the semis. And the way that Labouche tells the story at that time, the, the time slip you got was just your half of the time slip. Like you just saw what you did and they told you whether or not you won. And he said, they hand me a time slip and I'm a 0.01 on the tree. So I'm 10 and I'm one above. And in 1982, boy, you just did not lose ten and one above ever. And they told me I didn't win. I said there ain't no damn way. You know, you can, you can hear Big John telling you this, right? <laughs> yes, so I, just, right. I walked I walked over to Big George's trailer. They don't know each other now. Keep in mind, by the time that I'm interviewing John, they are they are thick as thieves. They were as close as, as as two racers could be, especially two guys of that ilk. So I walk right up to Big to George Rupert's trailer. I said, "I don't know who you are." I need to see that time slip. There ain't no way you beat that. So George produces his side of the time slip, and George was 20 and dead on. He says, So Big John says, Well, obviously, I, I lost by a few thousandths of a second. We couldn't even comprehend that in 1982. And yeah. I'm just staring at his time slip in disbelief. And this is Big John. Big John says, and I told him, I said, Well, one of two things: either you are the best damn racer I ever seen, or you're a cheating some bitch. I mean, just out of the blue, <laughs> right? And, and I don't know how they reconcile that, how they work that out. But obviously, George goes on, wins the race. And then John, you're telling me the story 20 years later, he says, man, it took me a while after we started running around a little bit and I seen a little bit more, but I became convinced and I'm still convinced to this day. He's the best damn racer I've ever seen on the bottom. This is in a time before delay boxes came out. Yeah. And this is something that big John stuck to, you know, five, 10 years ago, watching guys like you, Jen, watching guys like what would become Nick Hastings. I think John would tell you to this day, the most natural talent he ever saw off the bottom ball belonged to George Rupert. And coming from a man like John LeBou, Sr., that means something to me.
1: Yeah, it definitely had uh, a lot of credibility to the statement when uh, John LeBou, Sr. says that he, uh, he don't run around blowing smoke up people's skirt. Uh, but you know, that's uh that's a very true statement. George was a tremendous talent on the racetrack. And, you know, obviously did his damage loop uh, pre-internet and uh social media and all those things. You know, if if George again were 30 years later for sure in racing, he he would be one of the guys we talk about on a regular basis here on the show. So um, a tremendous loss again, a, 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 an unbelievable talent and such a, such a impactful guy in racing, uh, what, what he did with alcohol carburetors and, and changing racing really. I mean, you know, he was, I don't know who the first alcohol carburetor was, but they couldn't have been far in front of George if they were in front of him. He was very
0: early in that game
1: and somebody that, uh, that basically help change racing forever
0: yeah and and just from the mechanical side like in a time long before we had any of the tools that we had today like george introduced a lot of the things like we just i'll just steal from him like we we focus on within this is bracket racing elite and from a from a vehicle consistency standpoint like try to pick apart your time slip right like where is where is the variance coming from right? In terms of incrementally, is it in the first 60 foot? Well, that's probably traction related. Is it between 60 foot and 330? Well, what happens between 60 and 330? The converter locks up and it shifts. So if you're seeing inconsistencies there, like maybe you're not operating in the optimal RPM range. And if it's further down track, it's something fuel related. Like that's That's all pretty common stuff that we just kind of just speak verbatim at this point. Those ideas didn't come from anybody in this generation. My understanding is that concept generated with one dude and that's George Rupert right like I mean he contributed so much to the sport along the way like it's um it's a it's it's a sad day for our sport to see him go but also a, an opportunity to celebrate what he brought to all of us strictly from an on-track competition standpoint so George Rupert definitely a uh, man that'll be missed
1: no doubt Luke thoughts awesome and prayers to to his family and uh God knows how many lives that that he's impacted uh just to Guy that really left his
0: mark uh, on on earth and on racing. With that as the background, I don't know that sportsman drag racing is necessarily broke, big Jed, but we're here today to fix it. Now, the way that just a little peek behind the curtain now, the way that we typically operate here on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, and you probably gather this from just listening. I am very much like I can't, I just don't operate well without preparation. Jed, very much more off the seat of his pants right and and that's the way that he works and that's the way that I work and it seems to you know for seven years now it's worked well together I I think we can give ourselves a a pat on the back there so as it pertains to this I've got three admittedly half-baked ideas to fix various aspects of sportsman drag racing I've detailed them in an outline Jed I know you've got some Half-baked ideas as well. I'm going to assume so, but I have no idea what they are at this point. Do you want to take the lead? Is there something you want to you want to share here, or are you just going to give me the floor?
1: No, Luke. I, you know, obviously, the topic number one here is is a subject that's uh, very near and dear to you in terms of uh, somebody that's participated at that level and that that um, part of our sport. So definitely, uh, you take the lead here and. Uh basically I will uh I'll just add to your comments. I I don't I don't pretend to to know how to how to fix topic number
0: one. Fair enough. Well, what I want to focus on is NHRA national event competition from a sportsman standpoint. Because I think it's fair to say, I think just about everyone would agree that over the course of the last two, three decades, some of the prestige, if nothing else, has been lost and from a national event competition and and I'm here to fix it Big Jed I know that Josh Peterson Glenn Cromwell they're probably regular subscribers they might be watching along live so I hope they're taking notes right (laughs) I got the answers Big Jed some of the prestige has been lost at least in my opinion in in national event competition for a variety of reasons Uh, the pay the payout is is awful right like at least at the top and we could go into a number of reasons why or how much that has changed. Like just for a glimpse, when I I won my first national event, not that long ago, 2008, I think, Atlanta driveway, it was worth almost $20,000 by the time it was said and done. Like it was a pretty significant hit to win that. Um, my wife won the Winter Nationals this year. All the money still hasn't come in. That was in March. If and when it does, it might be worth $6,500 right like the the per, the pay has gone down significantly and obviously well no, it costs a lot more to go racing in 2023 than it did in 2008 none of that's here or there that's not necessarily the 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 vesting point for this but the fact that the pay is so poor for the investment both in terms of time and money it keeps away too many of the quote unquote best racers right like dan fletcher can no longer justify touring the country to race for 6500 dollars to win and he's not the only one there's there's many more racers that if they are attending national events it's on a much more limited schedule than it once was and there are countless racers who at one time Jed like when I started running Supercomp winning say a supercomp race or certainly winning the Supercomp national championship was about the most prestigious thing you could do owning a dragster. Now, the vast majority of the quote-unquote best racers don't mess with the NHRA racing at all. Like it just doesn't justify it. I can go race for fifty thousand dollars, right? And that it's so segmented where it's still a big deal to win yeah, on any level. It's still a big deal to win a national championship, win a national event. It's just not quite the same when you're not knocking off Kevin Brandon and, and Nick Folk and. Austin Williams is still there, but you know, on down the line, right? Like, it, it's just not the, quite the level of name recognition that it once was. So you've got that. Plus, the fact that fields are are limited at the national event level. Maybe this is a good thing in terms of prestige that it it takes some doing to actually enter a national event. But when you combine that with what I just said about the the not necessarily the talent level being diminished across the board, but certainly the name recognition being diminished across the board, it's just not the same field that it once was. Sportsman racers still at national events are at least at times when push comes to shove, second class citizens, we've all accepted that. like we're not the show, the pro show, but obviously we get we get moved around. And it is a huge time and money commitment to go to these events for three, four days, all the way across the board. So those are the problems. Those are the problems facing NHRA national events from a sportsman perspective at this time. And I'll admit like the initial instinct and maybe the answer is like privatization, like competition in this. Like maybe if NHRA wasn't the only show in town, there would be better options or it would force NHRA to step up the game a little bit. But honestly, Jed, like I don't, I don't know that we ultimately need that. I'm not sure that we even want that. Not yet. I think there's still a place for the NHRA format, but the national event model, it hasn't changed in four decades plus. And I think at this point it can be improved.
1: Well, I I definitely agree with that, Luke. You know, it's, it has, it has some level of stale to it um, for the way that it's been done for literally decades. And you know, a thought that I had, and this may sound crazy because I don't live that world, but your, your 90 classes to me seem like they need to, to be changed. And I'm I'm not sure if, if NHRA is, uh, is trying to limit mile per hour or or, uh, some of the, the safety concerns with going much, much faster, but you know, the, the 890 today is so much different than the 890 30 years ago, these cars will go, these cars will go. I guess most super comp cars are run what? High sixes?
0: A lot of them are, yeah.
1: Um, so you know, to me that that needs to be forget about 90. If if you don't want to go to 790, go to go to 820, 830. I think something needs to change there to to break it up for for the racers that have continued to support it. And I think. possibly new blood I think that you know they would help themselves generate some interest with a change in indexes for the 90 categories and I know that's really not where you were headed with your with your thoughts but just one of the things that I've been thinking about that I think could uh, could help the sport and you know you never really know who you're gonna who you're gonna get involved with a with a move like that if you get any new blood involved but I definitely think that it um, it opens up the playing field a little bit to where somebody don't have decades of data and, and uh, information to go out there and try to go dead 90. Um, change that index and, you know, your car might, the more wide open it is, the more it might respond differently to weather changes and those types of things. So I think that would generate some excitement in the sport if they, you know, Gen- conventional wisdom says it needs to go seven ninety eight ninety nine ninety, and everything bump up a second because you've got some 1090 cars out there capable of going, you know, 850. So uh, some of those cars are crazy fast. So I think that um, I think that would be a, a really good thing for the NHRA to put some serious consideration. In.
0: I'm not adverse to that, Jed. I don't. And at at this point, you're right. Like, I don't, if you moved it a whole second across the board, like, I don't think you're necessarily um, disqualifying any significant percentage of the field. Like there's, I would guarantee it's less than 5% of super comp cars. that can't go seven nine. Right. And super gas is probably a little bit bigger percentage. Like there are more kind of nine second ish super gas cars. But if you made super street into 990 and and made it the national class that it's probably deserved to be for three decades then those cars that weren't capable of bumping up to 890 could fall back to 990 like I'm not against any of that I don't know that it necessarily fixes much of anything and it's and for the purpose of of today's discussion at least what I've got in mind Jed it's way too inside the box I'm I'm I'll get into some of my fixes as we go along here this is going to end up being a long episode my fixes are out there. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm glad that we're closing, nearing the end of our, of our podcast reign, because I'm going to get some feedback on this. like, dude, what the hell are you, what are you smoking, my man? This one's a little bit more in the box, but here's my fix for national event competition. For what if for each national event, Jed, every national event across the board, the initial eliminations actually take place at a regularly scheduled already on the schedule lucas oil series divisional event preceding the national event for example let's say that the the brainerd Minnesota divisional event it precedes their national event by about six weeks right so to run both with the exception of the the racers that are in the minneapolis area to run both that means it's two trips to brainerd which with the exception of the locals like Brainerd ain't close to nothing Nobody wants to make two trips to Brainerd. Everybody would love to race at Brainerd twice. Nobody wants to drive there right? Especially in a day and age where diesel fuels four plus dollars a gallon. So most of the racers who would be at the national event, they're there at the points meet anyhow. On day one of the divisional or or add one day to the divisional and run the national event down to, say, eight cars. You make it down to eight cars or less. And guess what? You advance to the, the national event. Like You're part of the show come to the the Lucas Oil Nationals at Brainerd. This solves several problems in my mind. It saves the other 60 plus racers in each class another trip to Brainerd and another weekend of their lives that they could go do something else. It likely increases participation in the national event because now there's no need to restrict entry. Like most national events, it's like 60 entries per class due to time and space uh, considerations, right? Right. You're having this at a divisional. You don't have the pros on hand. You don't have the tight schedule to attend. If 100 racers are there and want to run Supercom, let them in. Creates more revenue for NHRA. Maybe maybe that revenue could be added to the purse to make winning the event a little bit more special. Or I, I would almost prefer the option of those eight or fewer racers that that qualify, if you will, for the national event you pay their way back. Like you give them some travel money. All of those people, like you're basically a free roll on the way back for the the national event. It would eliminate NHRA staffing and logistics, right? At the national event, like national events could become two-day races. I think all of NHRA, they probably wouldn't tell us outright, but they view sportsman racers, particularly at a national event, as a pain in their ass. The pain in the ass goes down. We get what we want. We still get the competition. We save a trip. We save some money. And we still get the prestige of competing, assuming that you make it down to eight cars in the show at the national event. And if you make it to that stage, you are literally part of the show. Like you're not taking a back seat to anything else. You've got a very manageable race that could theoretically run in conjunction with the pros. Like I don't expect that the sportsman racers would get TV time, but you're not going to get pushed back to finishing that race late Sunday night. Like at some point we can get two time trials and three rounds in for- eight cars over four classes, like the logistics of it are much, much more manageable. And in the end, I would believe, I would like to believe that an eight car sportsman runoff at a national at the national level is just more packageable. Like, I think there is an opportunity if that's not dedicated television time. I think there's an opportunity to sell the sponsorship to a live feed for the sportsman runoff late, you know, the, the, the Sunday eight car runoff. I think it's easily packageable for added contingency. Like, I just think there's a lot of opportunity here. And I don't see how anyone comes out to the worst. Like, I feel like NHRA wins. I feel like the racers win. I feel like the sponsors win. Like, all the way around, I I don't see a flaw in this plan. This is one of my plans that's half-baked, yes, but I don't think that crazy. Like, this works. I mean,
1: it's very well thought out, Luke, and it, it certainly would uh, would add a level of excitement to the to the sportsman categories that get to participate in this format. I, I feel like the uncertainty of of the amount of entries that an event would draw is totally out of the NHRA's comfort zone. So I, I still feel like they would limit that. Um, you know, you yeah, I think that's going to be much more comfortable to them from a scheduling standpoint and planning standpoint. But outside of that, I couldn't see one reason why they wouldn't want to adopt this, this format, this structure. This is uh, this is very cool. And, you know, I love the, I like it getting to a number. I think by runs to the final need to go away in, in this class in this category sportsman category. Uh, I like to get it to I would like to see them get it to a number where it has a, a finish side by side on the biggest stage that they have, which is the eight car field or, you know, if it's four whatever it is. But I would like to see them work that to where it landed at an even number to to get it down where they had two cars go down. Every-
0: would you like to see NHRA implement the good time format? <laughs> well, it, it, the
1: good time I think has stopped uh, that uh, you know in, uh, in this later I'm so sad to
0: hear that. that's the coolest setup ever. This, well, we
1: it... we have it at holiday beach and i22 uh, here locally. so we okay. we still do that at some tracks. but yeah we they, they say they pay eight places and we run it and we we get it to eight. So you know if there's ten, uh, two has to be eliminated. so the the four worst runs, including if someone's had a buy, is pulled out a separate round and raced and then there's eight remaining. The other cars get a buy run right there. So I know that's a lot of extra buy runs, but um, I, I still like the 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 solid number going to the final. Uh, that whole buy run to the final thing on that stage is probably very confusing to to the the general onlooker, you know, the the normal fan.
0: No, I love but, it. I, I I'd actually forgot about that whole format, but to your, I think what you were initially saying was like, what if we had 128 car field to start or 64 car field to start? And then and you just eliminate that. Like, that's actually a, a, I think a very viable thing across the board that honestly, like we, this was the whole purpose of this show is to kind of question some of the ways that we've always done things and just think like, why wouldn't this be better? Right. And to your point, particularly, I mean, it's one thing when there's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars changing hands on, on you know, potential buy run. but if you think about it from a, a a national point series perspective. Like, that's not it's not necessarily apples to apples across the board, right? If you just eliminated buy runs, eliminated the the happenstance, the circumstance, the granted, like there is some skill involved in in getting buy runs in the current format but it's not like a bracket race where it's just the best reaction time right like it's the best run from round one or it's how you position yourself on the ladder would it not be more fair when you're talking a nationwide series to say nobody gets buzz or there's one by run first round you know what i mean like by runs are just not commonplace and they they would never then decide a a national champion like i think there's some i think there's something there
1: yeah or you know maybe maybe the first round is where you get multiple buys to yeah to level your field just right off the bat and then from there every run is, you know you've got to earn it from there on out and so I they might could uh might could generate some excitement with that but uh I think it it would definitely end in an exciting way each time if you if you leveled that field early in the race yeah and just to
0: like <clears throat> again we're, we're bringing in some Alabama math here but I, I realize <laughs> is sometimes over the head of, of, of somebody that may be listening, and it's a foreign concept. But what Jed is articulating and, and what at least in areas was was in, and may still be commonplace, let's say that NHRA said, look, every super comp race, and we'll just use super comp, for example, in round two, we're going to have 64 cars. So if 66 cars show up for round one, like the last time, trial, however you're going to determine it, like the worst four reaction times, they have to race each other. And the other, what's my math there? 62 have by runs for first round we're, we're going to eliminate two cars we're going to get to 64. you know and however that falls and that way there's no by runs or Risk. um i do think like from a from a points earning perspective like n- the amount of by runs that you receive over the course of a year should not necessarily dictate the national championship and i'm sure at, at times it can and does and you could eliminate that and i think it'd be more fair to everybody all right my half-baked idea number two, Big chip. and we're gonna we're gonna get a little bit further out each each time we go here. Yeah, well, Luke, no, this, Luke, this is
1: real quick. Yeah. You just start counting points from a second round win. That's that's where points would start. And oh round. yeah, more better. Your field would be leveled. You don't. Nobody yeah. gets an advantage by race. And matter of fact, if you don't qualify well and it forces you to run round one, then you've got to earn your way to the to the points earning rounds. So yeah, I think Basically, that's, like that's the finish. way to
0: qualify. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so this one's a little bit out there. Follow me. I think I got something. It's half baked. What is the biggest problem facing the future of our sport? Like, I think we're in agreement on this. It's it's cost it it's cost prohibitive for new blood, right? It, the the days not to say that you can't necessarily get started in the way that we got started, Big Jed. But my first race car cost eighteen hundred dollars and i had an opportunity to win yeah i was the thing holding it back from the first time that i went to the racetrack like it legitimately fell into two categories where it was just about as competitive as anything and while that's still true on some level today like you're not gonna roll into a fifty thousand dollar event with your five thousand dollar race car and truly be competitive like it's just the the whole idea behind bracket racing was to make it to where the cubic dollar did not have a significant advantage. And as technology has increased, I think we've admittedly gotten away from that. Like not to say that you cannot win with the the less, least expensive car on the grounds, but it's a whole lot easier to win with one of the more expensive cars on the ground. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely, you know. Obviously, our sport's getting faster and faster and faster, and that costs a lot of money to do. And people are doing it for a reason, not because they get the thrill of going fast. You know that, that is advantageous in our game.
0: And so here's my out of the box solution, Jed. You just said it. The biggest variable in cost is power and or speed, and and I think we can all agree it's generally seen as an advantage to be the faster car. So how can we offset how can we create an offsetting advantage for slower cars and again like this is pretty half baked I think this probably has to somehow be based on mile per hour more so than ET just because we can manipulate ET with throttle stops or timing or what have you and still run big speed ultimately that's the advantage that we think we have at the finish line is running big speed but just for the purpose of explaining this I'm going to explain it as if it's broken up on ET because it's easier to to comprehend okay so let's just say for eighth mile bracket race set cars dialed in the sevens seven second eighth mile cars are on the level right they are competing by the the format that we are very familiar with six second cars as an example get handicapped slightly and when i say handicapped slightly let's say that if you're dialed six something a 003 light is perfect if you go 002 that's red so that means a perfect run in your seven second car is a perfect run a zero package? A perfect run in your six-second car is a three-thousandths package. Five-second cars get handicapped a little bit more. Maybe you can't be better than 005 on the tree. Four-second cars, 7 You you'd have to do some research here and run the numbers, but I'm fairly confident in saying that like the average package for a four-second car is smaller than the average package for a seven-second entry. You could I'm I'm picking arbitrary numbers for this, but you could. Do a little bit of research. You could find the difference in those class averages and implement them as essentially a handicap. The goal here is to make it so that the 430 dragster legitimately has no advantage over the 770 door car, done analytically and then implemented practically. Now, that's pretty outside the box, Big jet If I tell you, hey, this <laughs> your $100,000 race car, the best you can do is lay down seven total, and in my my clunker, I can still be perfect. There's going to be some pushback on that. What's your initial reaction? Uh,
1: my initial reaction is that is outside the box. I mean, that's some serious think tank. I mean that that <laughs> that time on the toilet, loop must have been a long sit. Uh, that's that takes a while were, to think out.
0: There were no methamphetamines involved in this in this brainstorm. I promise. <laughs> um, you know, that obviously
1: that would get very, it's hard for some people to read the time slip and figure out the numbers as it is. And this would make it increasingly difficult for some, uh, it would take this a while to become the new normal. So that's definitely thinking outside the box. I love it. I think it's uh, I think it's incredibly uh, thoughtful and and the suggestion just period is shows how you're your brain works more gooder than certainly mine and most others. But I say my thought here is if you want to increase, obviously everybody can't get into sport and go 599 or faster. So I think if you, the separation of door car and dragster has certainly impacted the sport in a positive way. I think the next step to that loop for me and my thoughts is grouping cars by dialing. Um, I really believe the slower cars would continue to come out of the woodwork if round one, two, and three, maybe your your 680 and slower cars ran one of them. You can't dial faster in 680 and this color, this run sticker color or what have you. So I, I think those, a lot of the seven second cars don't get two or three rounds under their belt before they're racing somebody much, much faster than them. And I think that limits some of those slower cars from coming out. So I think we could increase participation and certainly bring some new blood into the sport if you separated cars by dial and, you know, not, not every two tenths increments, but certainly, you know, maybe every three quarters of a second, or maybe even every second, maybe. Maybe 70 and slower and 60 to 699 and so on and so forth. I think that would increase participation in the sport. I, I'd be interested to see what people think about that. And the people tell me how crazy I am, but I really believe that uh, that some of the slower cars, a lot of the slower cars would come out and participate in that format. But yours. Certainly a cool idea for sure.
0: What you introduced is definitely a much more palatable solution to ultimately get to the same spot. Like the, the goal here is I want, I, I keep envisioning like the the 20-year-old scratching pennies together that really wants to go racing and, and doesn't have the, the money necessarily to be competitive. It, it could apply to any sort of demographic. The idea here is bracket racing was created as a as an equal playing ground, so to speak, to where you didn't have to have the big money to compete at the biggest level. And I do think we've gotten away from that. I I want to create some type of format where you can go and be competitive for, I don't know, 10, 20 grand. Like that's, it seems, that seems very realistic. Now the pushback that we get, whether it's, it's your, you know, a little bit closer to reality plan or my a little bit more outlandish plan, the pushback is that the industry surrounding our sport It runs on faster cars. It runs on pushing the technological barriers. But I don't know, Jed, like I may be covering my head in the sand a little bit. Like, I don't think implementing one of these ideas necessarily upsets that. I think the racers who have the money still, by and large, like kind of want to spend it. Like we like racers like to go fast. Racers like to look good. I think I don't think the industry gets hurt as a whole and the flip side of this is if we broaden the base of racers involved to begin with like the industry gets stronger around that I, I think that idea that oh like the the the, the aftermarket wouldn't support a, a move in this direction I I don't know that I agree with that
1: yeah you know I I don't know that I agree with it either Luke I I definitely agree that uh that people want to go faster you know I I certainly I'm not anywhere near the fastest car out there but i'm i'm going you know 580s and that's uh that's leaves me where i can run foot brake and super pro and kind of you know be one of the faster cars in foot brake and not one of the slower cars in super pro so it makes my car what i think is fairly uh versatile um but for the most part i think racers are trying to go fast because they understand driving out of the front window is much more easier than driving out of the back window. Um, you know, I heard some some thoughts this week on uh, trying to figure out a, a a way to keep racers from having to look over their shoulder, having to look back. And um, I don't know if Galen shared that with you. Uh, someone shared some thoughts with him on a uh, on. That they had on trying to keep racers from doing this because, you know, the the inherent danger by taking your eyes off the racetrack. I, I don't I don't think that's a, a major problem and I don't think that's necessarily leading to unsafe practices at the finish line. I think those that do that just do it. But uh, but I, I, I don't think even if you grouped them, even if you did it the way you're you're talking about doing it or grouped them by dial in, we're not going to stop this influx of power and speed in bracket racing if if it was all of a sudden everybody between 450 and and 499 was a a 007 was perfect they would just adjust to it and you'd have to come up with something for 420s and 14s and eventually 390s which we've seen before Um, so i don't i don't think there's anything that we're going to do or come up with that's going to stop the movement in bracket racing of of speed and power coming together but that said i think we could could offset that speed and power with more cars on the other end of the spectrum if we do come up with some kind of plan either yours mine or or whomever can come up with one uh i I think the growth in our sport is going to come 650 and slower Uh, so we have to we have to figure out a way to to get that group involved
0: right the last kind of half-baked idea that I've got is just like some specific event ideas that have just been on my mind in in a couple of cases for years and I'll be honest Jed like this isn't all that outside the box it's just something fun to kind of change it up speaking of fun to change it up did you see the the brainstorm that Bug McCarty and the guys at Immokalee came up with for one of the uh, series races back tire only event
1: Love it. And uh, the graphic that I saw, the, the car, the, the graphic, it was just a drawing of a car. But did you see the name on the side of it in the, in <laughs> like... the announcement? Strip Striptease. Oh, <laughs> it was it the straight strip out tease. of the podcast. Yeah. So it was uh, it was good stuff. And I love the idea. Let's let's bring it back. Go old school.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the the rule, the only rule for the race is you have to stage with the back tires. Like, it, it sounds just fun on, on the cursory, but like it's a whole new element. Like, you better believe. I don't it. have any idea where to start with the delay box. Like, obviously, you're going to need less. How much less? Our reaction time is going to be as consistent as we're used to seeing. Like, everything's different. It's cool.
1: I w- I think there's an equation there, Luke. I, I I meant to try to run some numbers just to see where I would start my box. But if you got a, if you take the circumference of your tire and you figure out what your delay is at that circumference, your your car is moving ever so many you know inches per thousandth there's an equation there to get to a, a, a decent guess anyway now i know sure. it's probably not exact but i think uh i think people could get themselves pretty close but staging with the back tires uh, that's a that's an awesome idea obviously the speeds are going to the, the ets are going to be a lot different the reaction times are going to be a lot different and you know just watching it happen is cool as hell and Think about Luke, if you're in a dragster stage with a back tires, I race at places you'd have to look back at the tree.
0: <laughs> you, you, you know, we the used trees to joke. Are right up there on you. So the the track is still in existence under a different name now. We used to call it Temple Academy Dragway, Little River, Texas. And we used to joke when you when you staged up at Temple, if you back then you you had to cross over. You actually had to look at the other I know those of you under like the age of 30 are like what the hell are you talking about Luke but you you, you couldn't look at your top ball on the tree you had to look at your opponent it would come on first if they were the slower car and it, so we used to joke that if you didn't like the angle of that ball at temple you just reach up and adjust it like the tree was right there and that's how every track would feel if you're staging it with the back tires particularly in a dragster right
1: yes yeah that's a that's a killer <laughs> that, idea Again, just watching it and the, the actual view for the racer and how that would change and just be weird. It's uh, it's killer because you, you know, you think about it. OK, I stage with my back tires, but I've got to drive the finish line with my front tires and just the whole concept of it is, is is genius.
0: And I don't know, like where my mind goes. I overthink stuff, Big Jed, but like the the front tire circumference is a stagnant thing when we're leaving the starting line. With a higher powered car like you've got sidewall flex you got tires folding up like is that i don't know that reaction times are are as consistent triggered off the rear like it's it's just it's an interesting interesting thought exercise and nothing else anyway that led us down a rabbit hole so i've had on my mind like a couple of different formats for races and, and i'll be completely honest like i've been this one that I'm going to share first, I've been protective of for a lot of years because I was like, man, this is a great idea. Somebody's going to do this. Like, I'm, I'm going to put this together. And I've just come to the realization, Jed, like, I'm I'm going to continue to put on the Jake Summer Door car shootout. I don't have any desire to be a, a, a race promoter beyond that. Like, maybe someday, sometime. But right now, like, if, if this is, if this half-baked idea has any legs, somebody run with it. I just like to run in this race. My first idea is... The Drag Racing Olympics. Okay, so it is the idea here is that it is one race for all. Okay, because I don't get to see my bottom bulb friends and my dragster friends and my door car friends and my super class friends. I don't get to see them all at one track, at one race, at the same time. I want everybody. I want I want to open the doors for all big jet. I want all my buddies there. Four <laughs> classes, separated till the end. You've got a class for door cars. That's common. You got a class for dragsters. That's common you got a track class for bottom bowlers. pretty common. And then you've got a second chance race. Okay. And it's a set field, the same number for all of them. Let's say it's well,
1: 128
0: cars in each, 128 door cars, 128 dragsters, 128 bottom ballers run off for their own purse to completion. You get one winner in each. Well, then after there's no buybacks, by the way, I like races with no buybacks. We're going old school, no double entries, no buybacks. After round one, there is a second chance race for everybody. You all just, everybody that loses in round one gets mixed in one second chance race. In the end, you've got four winners that all got a purse. You got your dragster winner. You've got your door car winner. You've got your bottom bulb winner. And you've got your second chance race winner. And those four then run off for the big purse. Like, let's say it's, let's just pick numbers out of the sky. Each class is five grand to win. And then those four run off for another 20, right? So it's 25 grand to win, but with really awesome payback because three other dudes are going to get at least five grand payback. Like, I just think the format's cool and it gets away from the traditional, like, you still get to make a lot of runs. You still get multiple chances. If you lose first round, you get to fall into another race that pays just as much, but without having the the buyback portion of it. Like, I just I like the form.
1: Yeah, Luke, I love it. And, and it hits really close to home. And I'm going to tell you why. <clears throat> so my partner. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Stites. He's a uh, he's the guy that's come up with all of our flyers over the years, and you know he he's changed our format. and He he comes up with the ideas, and I go promote it. And I I don't I've never uh, pretended to to be the guy behind those decisions. I'm certainly involved in them, but they're typically his idea. Several years ago, Steve come to me with the World Bracket Challenge. There you go. He said, man, this is a, he said, this is a killer idea. This is what we need. This is what we need to do. We need to put this race on. It was 85 door cars, 85 dragsters, 85 foot brake, and 85 no box. Why 85, Luke? Uh, I have no idea. Why 85? It doesn't make sense, does it? Because there's no way after the the buyback is done, after the the re-entry round, there's no way you could have more than 64 cars in any category. Okay. So now you've got sixty-four or less to run your your six rounds and and be done after the re-entry round in each eighty-five. And it was a very similar thought to what you have here. All of them racing for their own individual purse gets down to one in each, and then they're paired based on uh, reaction time. Uh, you know, who knows who's going to run who? But uh, he, you know, we we pondered, pondered, pondered really really got close to, to putting it out there and doing it and just wasn't sure we'd get 85 of everything to to support it at the time. This was many years ago, probably seven, eight, nine years ago. So we shied away from it. And then here late in the podcast journey, you come up with with this idea and it's hitting very close to home and just makes me think now might be the time somebody needs to take that idea and run with it because your format and you've got some other you've got some other thoughts here going forward, but your format has a lot of legs the second chance bottom bulb and then second chance. I like that. I like that a lot um, you couldn't obviously couldn't do your 85 number uh, with not with the unknown of the second chance but um, but some version of what you're thinking, some version of what we're thinking mixed in there there's there's some legs to that. sounds like a great American it sounds like a, a, a Brit and Galen. And Tommy idea.
0: If there's any promoter that has proven themselves dumb enough, perhaps smart enough to actually follow some of our advice, like they were the only ones to do it so far. We we come out with some harebrained idea and they're like, Hey, we're gonna have that race, but badass, let's do it, right? Yeah. So who knows? Let's make it work Maybe. well. Yeah, I, I say, I know Josh Peterson and Glenn Cromwell are listening. Maybe, maybe Peter Biondo, Britt Cummings, like somebody it gets together here. This this gets legs. How about this one, Jed? I didn't even include this on the doc. This is actually having a race now that paid a million dollars to win is not just like a realistic vision, like it's been done, right? But I thought about this like 10 years ago where the million never got close to paying a million and never paid half a million because like there was legitimately, the thought process was there's legitimately to maybe 300 racers that'll pony up the money to run this. And like, that's never enough to pay the purse, right? So my thought was always, what if the the million, so to speak, was like a week long event, which it essentially is a week long event. But what if all the lead up events were simply, you had like five or six days of multiple satellite events that you didn't really make any money. You just earned your way into the million, right? Like maybe you could enter the million if you wanted to, but it's like 10 grand right? And it's a 128 car field, but all of the spots are won throughout the week in satellite races that basically add up to the $10,000 entry fee or multiple, like it's a 150 car field and the last eight remaining cars get an entry into the million or whatever the case may be. You race all week for the chance to be in the show and simply making it to Sunday and the show is a big deal. And then you package that in this, in this day and age of, of live feeds and 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 attention, like simply being a part of the field would be incredible. And then you're racing for a legit million bucks. Like I, the day for that to actually pull that together is probably past because like it's kind of happened. But I still think there's a there's potential there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, earning your way there obviously adds a level of special to the field. And and certainly, I think um, you know not having to make that crazy investment to to enter that, uh, keeps a lot of people from doing it that are capable of competing. So getting an opportunity in a, in a, you know, a a normal entry purse type of race to, to qualify certainly wouldn't have to win. You'd, you'd have, I guess, a, a certain number that, that qualified and went from each satellite event, but the satellite race, but no, that's a, that's a really cool idea, Luke. And I think, um, I think would, you know, increase participation for sure.
0: All right, last one I got for you. And Jed, you're going to love this because this is like right up your alley. This is probably a little bit of a spin off on what we just mentioned. Like maybe the coolest thing that we've ever done as a podcast was roll out this, this all state challenge that actually became a race. But one of the coolest elements of that within our all state discussion, we had like a utility driver, right? Because we're all about versatility here on the podcast. Like I love the fact that you can hit the bottom. I love the fact that you can drive your dragster. What I love, love is anybody that can do it all, right? Like I want the guy, I want the Chad Isley. Do four wheels, two wheels, top ball, bottom ball, long track, short track, whatever. If it's a race, I'm in. That's what speaks to me. So with that in mind, Big Jed, the door car versatility nationals. It is a limited field, door cars only. Let's say 128 cars, 128 cars pre entry one car, one driver, 128 different cars, 128 different drivers, no double entries of any kind, set view. Day one, top ball, eighth mile. Day two, same 128 cars, same 128 drivers, no box. Let's go 1,000 foot. Day three, foot brake only, quarter mile. Uh, let's actually, let's just back that up. Say foot brake only, eighth mile. There's not a lot of facilities that do a quarter mile. Not a lot of people race quarter mile. Anymore. Day four, top ball, 1,000 foot. We're gonna change the length of the track, And we're going to change the way you hit the tree every day of the same from the same drivers in the same cars like you. In order to win this, you got to do it all. And while it's prestigious to win any day of the event, the the draw here is you win the most rounds of the weekend. There is the biggest thing here. The biggest marketing point is the weekly points fund. Who can do it all? Who can earn points every which way and come out atop. top? They become the most versatile driver, the gold medalist, if you will. If we can combine my two, two ideas, Big Jed, the Olympics of drag racing and the versatility of nationals, this is the this is the decathlon, right? Oh, uh,
1: this is incredible! Now, this is
0: <laughs> of all your ideas, this is my most favorite. <laughs> uh, I knew
1: it would be. Obviously, I got some questions. Um, first on day one, I do don't all, have
0: answers yet. It's half baked. Do all <laughs> do all cars <laughs> actually have to let go? I think when it's when it's bottom bulb, like you, you got to do the thing that day. Like you can't you can, Nick Hastings cannot footbreak for four days. We know Nick Hastings okay. can footbreak. I want Nick okay. to do all the things.
1: Yeah. I was thinking I just know you know you but that's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, very interesting. Luke, when you really think about having to do that by the letter each day, that is a very, very small number of people, um, you know, not many people are very successful being able to do both. You got the, here's my vision.
0: You got like, maybe there's 40 people that are legitimately like pretty good at all, all of this. And that's cool. Right. We get to see those 40, but the other like 88, if this is 128, like I want to see Kevin Brandon foot break. I want to see Nick Hastings let go on the top. I want to, you know what I mean? Like, I just think that element would be awesome.
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, And sign me up, by the way, I, I, I suck at all of those, but would certainly like to take an opportunity to mix up my own game a little bit. I, I think I could be halfway competitive anyway. So um, I, I see Paige is talking about Scooter. Definitely Scooter could do it. You know, Chad Sandlins, I won't try to name them all, but there's
0: a, plan, there's a small
1: right? number. There's a small number that do this successfully in, in both top and bottom ball of arena. So, um, but I think more people would be capable and, and you know, be able to practice a little. And Luke, if you could figure out where to have this and when to have it and make it happen, you'd you'd be the Peter Biondo of of this type of event because you'd have people bitching immediately about how fast it sold out and why they why it's only 128. Why yeah. only allowing 128? Because 328 would try to get in this in the first 20 minutes. There ain't no doubt in my mind, really. If you could find a, a location. It was central and and certainly a, a purse worth doing it this is an incredible idea love it absolutely love it it is a spin-off from the all-state challenge but you know no uh no 890 category type stuff or no throttle stop but this is the versatility door car versatility nationals and uh you know uh, brad ploward probably is one of the few people that win he's from alabama so i would probably pick brad but uh, Let me guess, you got Ford
0: and Strickland in all four finals. Is, is
1: that fair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we, I don't know if we get Strickland there, but uh, you know we'd tell him we'd run him through tech and give him some kind of sticker or something. We we might talk him into it, but you know he's kind of fixed <laughs> on that in HRA stuff. <laughs> but this uh this would be a blast this is one hell of an idea and i'd love to watch it and participate in it. but that's the thing like i
0: i want this to happen so that i can play not that i'm i'm with you like i'm not particularly good at any of it but i'd love to play on this so somebody take this idea and run with it some yeah. iteration yeah. you could also you could flip it similar to the way that they actually structured the the utility race at the at the uh all-state runoff like i think this is actually like verbatim the way that we laid it out but they basically got all of the drivers in the lanes for round one. And I don't remember how they did it, but it was somehow randomized like, okay, this round we are going to use the delay box and uh, here's the coin we're going to flip. We're going quarter mile. And the next round that you'd have your winners and the next round they'd come up and be like, okay, uh, this round we're going to flip the coin. Okay, you guys got to take the boxes out and we're going to half track. And it just changed every round. And it was awesome. Now the winner, that was zero surprise, right? It was Hastings, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't remember. I know he was in the final. I think it was Hastings and Siegel in the final, which shocker to no one. Yeah, but yeah, again, yeah. to the point, like Nick was—he's not cheating, but like he was—he was, he was foot breaking every round. He didn't do anything different. I want you to have to change every time you stage.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right about him and Siegel. My my dog Siegel—I should have remembered that one for sure. But uh, uh, very interesting idea. Some great thoughts. Uh, a half baked, of course, to to fix. Uh, sportsman drag racing, bracket racing, bring in new blood, certainly um, uh, increase participation and excitement on the NHRA tour. Uh, I love the idea about getting the events closer together. Your point about having to, to go somewhere remote and then come back in six weeks. It seems like somebody at NHRA would have already figured that out and said, we can help and this is how we can do it. Somebody needs to be listening. To what you presented here tonight and then you know like the like we have the wally Luke, we need to have the bogaki there needs to be when when you when your ideas fix sportsman racing we need to come up with the bogaki put a trophy out there
0: you know somebody one of the loyal listeners has to come up like with a way to because we're all about getting the the credit that we may or may not deserve like we've contributed a lot to our sport johnny bracket racer came from us right and that's not not johnny is not the fruit of our loins but the name that that started here right and there's been several contributions to the sport along the way that someone needs to compile this for episode 350 right for episode last in the current iteration and if if we could take a shot at some of the things that we've impacted the little things like there's there's a lot that's generated from this show i hope that something's taken from this show because Basically everything that we just rolled out, like I'd love to be a part of as a racer. So somebody, somebody with more stones than I and more ambition than I, go to this. Be
1: cool. It would definitely be a blast, and I agree. Uh, we, we, I'd love to see a little snapshot of some of the things that that we've talked about and influenced in the sport that we love so much and uh, certainly making next week already feel a little emotional for us. Uh, you know, number 350 being uh, our not necessarily our last one guaranteed, but certainly... You know, it'll it'll take special circumstances and situations to to get us back out uh, on the podcast and and do a show going
0: forward. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, like Hunter Patton, Scotty Richardson breaking the internet, you know, I mean something like that. They'd probably get us to talking again, like things like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, the fun we'd weigh in on. Everybody's talking about like eh, yeah, that might get us out of retirement, but it's not. That's
1: a great good. point. That's yeah. a great point. Looking forward to it. That wraps up number three forty nine, Luke. Uh, some good stuff. Uh, definitely. Again, thoughts and prayers to the Rupert family and the, the, the literally thousands, tens of thousands of people he's impacted. I'd like to say a very special happy birthday to Daryl Hamlin Sr., a guy that we love, Miss Page's father-in-law, awesome dude, Scooter's dad, just a, a guy that really loves this sport and lives for it and loves uh, beautiful hot rods, particularly Chevy 2. So happy birthday, Daryl. We uh, We love you, man, and hope you had a wonderful day. And um, certainly appreciate you listeners. Again, if you're watching tonight, uh, we thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. We had a pretty good crowd. Luke, I guess word got out that the podcast is coming to an end and some people felt like they needed to catch one of the last couple of lives. Uh, we had a we had it's a good bad. number. To, yeah, we had a good number. And I think we're spreading quickly and, you know, we're going to we're going to definitely. Uh, probably blow it out next week, blow it out. Cause next week's going to be a lot of fun as well. But, uh, if you're just listening to this on Friday, you didn't get to watch. Thank you. And again, as I always say, if you're doing both, find yourself a, a better hobby or go cook dinner for the family or something, cause you need, need something to do. Luke, um, if, If anybody has anything they want to say here towards the end of the podcast here the next week, uh, they do that at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. I don't really know how this works. I don't know if that stays up and we we just throw topics out there from time to time, uh, keep our page. But I guess that'll stay live. And if uh, if you got something to say.
0: I don't see any reason. We keep the Facebook page. We'll keep the feed, right? So these past episodes will always have a home and archive. Like you'll be able to find them. So nothing's going to change significantly. We just won't have a new show each and every week. Um, Yeah. And to that end, like I'm going to need some help from the loyal listeners. Like I, I do not have the time nor the energy to, to, to go back through the archives. I think we probably started doing shouts around episode 50. Like there's been some good ones. I would love to have like a collection, of the most random shouts from our episodes. So if anything sticks, jumps to mind for you, for shout outs from any time in the last seven years, I would love to get an email that show up on the Facebook page, message us on Facebook. I'd like to have a good list of of just random episode 73. We shouted out whoever, right? And whatever, like, it'd kind of be an inside joke. That'd be cold cast you, 100%.
1: Cole Castile, we'll have to shout out uh, Manscaped. Um, you know they were, <laughs> they kept this podcast running for quite some time. One of one of the greatest stretches in my life to to be able to do those reads <laughs> was a great time. And some of the things we talked about off camera. Did you
0: end your Manscaped career still undeterred? Like you were the one shot wonder for yeah. my French forever like I don't I think it was I think it was first take from day one I don't think Jed ever had to reread a Manscaped ad I, I think he no, batted a thousand
1: yeah. I did I batted a thousand I never had to had to reread one I never had to retake uh, take two it was first take every time it was uh it was unbelievable. It was a it was a great great time and a great run. So we'll put Manscaped in our, in our shout outs, and certainly there's been many sponsors over the years. You know, I think of uh, Siebert Performance and BTE, and uh, I remember when um, uh, Ed Buyer and, and Stephanie participated. And I know I'm missing a lot, but you know, you just think about like so much fun and so much uh, interaction with people on this show. And uh, next week uh, it'll. It'll wrap up, but i um, always going to have this format to where we can, uh, we can come back when and if we need to. And we'll depend on you, the listeners, when you see that controversial or, or important topic and it needs to be discussed. We still feel like uh, we own the right to, to come back and discuss that. So, uh, again, Sportsman Drag Racing uh, Podcast Facebook page will remain open. It's open now if you got something to say. Again, as always, you can send it private message and producer Marcus, snag it up and let us know what you had to say. And um, that'll remain there anytime you want to say something, even when the, the show is not going live. So, Luke, uh, I, I don't think you got any uh, any shouts. I think you're saving them all up.
0: Yeah, I, I spent an hour talking about half baked ideas like I've been I've been preoccupied. I don't have shouts. <laughs> I have been do. busy.
1: You have been busy. I, I did have to step away a while ago. Uh, I w- had on my phone. I was listening uh, while I was had to step outside and take care of uh, somebody that was here. But uh, um, Glenn Ferguson, amazing accomplishment. Wayne Henry, amazing accomplishment. Uh, congratulations again to to you guys. My dog, Nick Ross. I don't want to leave anybody out, but Nick's my dog, very close to him. That that event had a massive number of in in uh, entries, Luke. I don't know if y'all talked about that or you talked about it. I didn't remember hearing that. Four hundred
0: plus, yeah,
1: yeah. So I think it got up in the four hundred and sixty range. Unbelievable crowd for Anthony Walton and Loose Rocker, and you know they they were dealt significant challenges with weather and and oil downs and all those things. So. You know at the end of the day they got it all done and did have to split that first day we got those 20k winners so job well done to them Nick was just there for Friday and Saturday was having fears that it was going to run him into Sunday it did run him into Sunday and then he made the best of it he, he did the only thing he could do to make it pay off and went to the final so way to go Rick Noss you're my dog congratulations front row posse team bad guys he's a member and uh and We got to give him a lot of love here as we, as we exit. So Luke and I again are active on the Twitter Uh, listeners. If you'd like to tweet on the X, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I I am at JP 11 X that wraps us up for this week. One more to go number three fifty next week. And we'll close the door for at least a while on the sportsman drag racing podcast. Thank you. Loyal listeners. Thank you. Loyal watchers. Thank you to everybody that interacts with us. We appreciate it. And we can't wait to talk to you again real soon.
0: Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com.